Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to Big Bets on Campus, Sources Edition. My co-host, the award-winning, news-breaking, Action Network's own, Brett McMurphy. First reported by our own Brett McMurphy. Brett McMurphy is Sources. I'm Action Network senior writer Colin Wilson, a guy that took Tennessee and wasn't smart enough to take the uh, team total at 17. Brett, you took it. It pushed. It pushed. I, I I feel like Tennessee should have scored a lot more, but I think that game shows the dominance of Georgia because they looked as if they weren't prepared the first two or three jives, and then Kirby and his staff made changes, and it was a blowout ever since then. I think it just shows the level of this Georgia team and how tough it's going to be for anyone to beat them. Yeah, Tennessee should have got over that 17. First or second play of the game, they had a guy – runner wheel route that was a touchdown. He overthrew him by a yard or two. And then they got down in the red zone, kept trying to score touchdowns instead of just kicking field goals. So, but yeah, I mean, George is the number one team. That's, that's no big surprise, Uh, but they're not unbeatable. I mean, it's going to be fascinating when they play Alabama and Atlanta, Uh, that will be a quasi national championship game. Although they could actually meet again in, in the college football playoff. But uh, it, it was good to actually see somebody that, that could throw the ball. You and Stucky talked about that on Saturday. This is the best offense that, that Georgia has faced. Uh, they, they looked really good, though. I don't think they're unbeatable, but they, they do still look easily like the nation's number one team. We've had just these amazing offensive seasons from LSU and Alabama the last two years, and now we've got this. I wish this dominant defense was around for one of those two teams in the past. We would have had a real game of the century. Brett, there's a ton to discuss. Last week we came on this show. I think we spent 90% of our time talking about coaching moves. That hasn't changed. The coaching carousel has gone from about a four-seat sedan to the size of a school bus in the last two weeks. Let's start off with Florida International. Listen, there are firings. There are people that quit. 
Tracy Clay's walking out of Minnesota and say, my, I won't be freezing my ass off up here. There's ways that coaches depart programs. But Butch Davis saying that there's a sabotage, no money for the program, no money for recruiting. This feels like a relationship that went sour. And somebody's like, listen, my partner has been cheating on me all these years. I just never said anything about it. But I mean, they're they're intentionally throwing this relationship in the garbage cans. It's a pretty eye-popping stuff that Butch uh, has had to say, right? He was very candid and very open with me. I was actually surprised by that because a lot of coaches, when they're leaving their their school, they usually uh, don't don't speak their mind. But Butch was very honest. He was very upfront. You know, I reported this the story on Monday, broke the story that Butch Davis would not return next year to FIU. And, you know, there were a, a number of things that really irked him. But the main thing was there just was no commitment from the administration. And he gave me numerous examples. He said when he got there in 2017, he found out the shoulder pads that the school had been using were 10 years old. You have to get shoulder pads certified every year. Apparently, their shoulder pads, not all of them passed certification. So they had to get new shoulder pads. One problem, the school wouldn't give them any money to buy new shoulder pads. Fortunately, an assistant on FIU staff knew somebody at Mississippi State and they heard what was going on. Mississippi State's shoulder pads were only five years old, but they were replacing them, luxury of being a power five school. And so basically, Mississippi State said, okay, you can have our shoulder pads. And so Butch is like, well, those shoulder pads were five years old, but they were new to us. So they use that. Other things like, you know, people may think this is small potatoes. But in today's college football world, with everything revolving around recruiting and what you can do for your players, FIU's uniforms haven't been replaced in in nine years. Oregon replaces their uniforms like every nine minutes. So how attractive is that for any potential recruits to come in? They wouldn't allow FIU's assistants to recruit on the road the last two years. Last year during COVID, I know you knew, knew how bad FIU was. They had literally half of the team was out with COVID or season-ending injuries, they were forced to play a game at Liberty because, surprise, surprise, FIU would get a big payday by going to play at Liberty. Butch didn't want to play the season. He didn't think it was healthy for his players. And just the, the number of reasons where the administration would not would not step up and provide just adequate stuff for players, whether it's for the coaches. He's not allowed to sign coaches to multi-year deals. So what coach would take a job move to South Florida if you only have a one-year deal when you can go somewhere else and get a multi-year deal. So that hampers his ability to get assistant coaches, um, just on and on and on. But this isn't a FIU hates Butch Davis. This is FIU has a major, major decision to make. And that is, are you going to compete as an FBS school? Because if you are, you have to change everything you've done in the past 10 years. So what you're telling me is that Todd Grantham coached these shoulder pads five years ago at Mississippi State, and then they ended up on FIU players, which is a really interesting bit since we know that Todd Grantham can't coach defense whatsoever. It's going to be a big, big challenge for whoever whoever takes over as the AD and coach at FIU. Florida International, a 10-point underdog in North Texas this weekend. So, you know, and North Texas has been covering like crazy. Uh, and, of course, maybe it's uh, Seth Luttrell's uh, last-ditch effort to stay on there as head coach. We never know. I, I think North Texas is a team that also could have some turnover. Uh, Luttrell had some Kansas State stuff going on a couple of years ago, so we'll see how that game turns out against Florida International. Staying in the same area, and which is funny because, you know, you said two months ago, the dumpster fire teams of the week was the entire state of Florida. So let's stay down there <laughs> and let's talk about the hurricanes. They're just released today. Uh, Miami fired athletic director, Blake James, 
Uh, Deputy AD interim uh, is going to be Jen Strawley. Does this mean Manny Diaz is done? Do you start with the AD and then work your way down to Manny? Is Manny going to be reviewed? Uh, uh, Jen Strawley is going to lead the effort to 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 get a new athletic director. Is she going to be in charge of Manny Diaz's uh, employment status? It'll be above her. But look, anytime, you know, you never want to be working for an AD that didn't hire you. The only thing worse than that is the AD that hired you, hired you gets fired two weeks before the, your final game and you're sitting at 19 and 15 and you just lost a must-win game against rival Florida State. I will be honest. I do not have any inside information on the future of Manny Diaz, but reading the tea leaves and the way this has played out with Blake James, it was obvious they did not want Blake James to hire the next coach. If that's the case, then it would make sense you would get rid of Blake James now before you made the move on Manny Diaz. The problem with Miami, they're kind of like Nebraska. Their fan base thinks it's, you know, 1990 or something, and that's how successful they should be. I mean, since, you know, obviously Jimmy and Dennis Dennis Erickson was there, Butch Davis took him up to number two in the country before he went to the NFL. Larry Coker won a national championship. But since then, here's the list of coaches that Miami has had. Randy Shannon, four years. Al Golden, somehow five years. Mark Rick, three years. He left reportedly because the offense was so bad and he wanted to hire his son as offensive coordinator. And Blake James said, no, we're not going to allow that. So Rick said, "Okay, fine, I'm going to retire. And now Manny Diaz, who had taken the Temple job. I don't know if you remember that. It actually accepted the Temple job when Rick suddenly stepped down and then they were able to convince Diaz, who was Rick's defensive coordinator, to take the head coaching job. So it's been a revolving door of coaches there at Miami. If you're going to get rid of Manny Diaz, you need to have a plan on who you're going to get. I think the number one home run hire for Miami is Mario Cristobal at Oregon. He's He played at Miami, coached at Miami. The unknown, big unknown, is would Cristobal take the Miami job? I don't know if he would or not. He's obviously got Oregon in a great place. They're in the top four of the college, current college football playoff. It's simple for the Ducks. Went out, you're in the, you're in the, you're in the playoff. There is no way on this earth that Mario Cristobal accepts that job or even dips his toe in the waters until the season is done. So if you're Miami, are you really going to wait until mid-January potentially before you get your coach? Because if you don't get Cristobal, who are you going to get after that? Yeah. You know, you're, you're, all of your choices after that are going to smell like bad fish. Rhett Lashley would be hired in an instant as an offensive coordinator at almost every school in FBS. Uh, what's the chances Rhett Lashley you think has a chance to stick? I, is he viewed? I mean, I mean, Miami lost De'Ara King and is still putting up over 30 points a game uh, with Tyler Van Dyke. So I would, I would wonder if Rhett Lashley is getting a get, get consideration or if he'll move on for another offensive coordinator position. Yeah, that's, that's unknown. I mean, it matters what happens, uh, who comes in, what's, you know, that could go a million different ways. So I couldn't, I couldn't say definitively, but I, I agree with you. I mean, what Lashley's done has been, been pretty remarkable when you look at, they lost De'Ara King, you know, the offense has not been an issue for Miami. It's ironically been the defense and that was Diaz's specialty. Uh, You know, their defense has been a sieve, but 
offense, they they put up some some nice numbers, especially when you lose somebody with the experience and leadership of Derek King. So whatever happens with Lashley, I think he has certainly improved his stock by what the Canes have done offensively. Well, Manny Diaz, Butch Davis could end up as an uh, analyst on Alabama staff. You never know who's coming in <laughs> that analyst revolving door. But uh, let's move on to a coach that was suspended and then fired, which is sad for me because I love betting against them. Uh, Jimmy Lake, one game suspension, has been fired to quote uh, what came out of the administration, a variety of reasons on and off the field. I'm guessing that slapping a player in the face mask was not was not even maybe 1% of the reason why Jimmy Lake is no longer the head coach. I'm guessing that there is just a certain way to conduct yourself off the field with boosters, with your with your boss, with your athletic director. And Jimmy Lake just wasn't hitting all the notes and uh, is probably going to end up as a defensive coordinator somewhere and not return to the head coaching ranks for a while. Um, where, where Where is Washington going to go? We're now we're now bowed out of the division. We've already fired our offensive coordinator. Uh, we're, we're Washington and Washington State have a skeleton crew coaching them right now. Where, where are the Huskies going to go from here? Little known fact about the upcoming Apple. Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State, Nick Rolovich and Jimmy Lake never lost in the Apple Cup. <laughs> it's true. Of course, they never coached in it either. You know, I think Justin Wilcox at Cal, I think that makes a lot of sense for Washington. Also, a guy that really fits what Washington does. And, you know, I've had the, the opportunity to talk to this guy, and he is tremendous. And I don't know if a lot of people know much about him nationally, but that's BYU's Kalani Sataki. I think he's somebody that could work at Washington. Other than SC and Oregon, that's that's probably the third best job west of Oklahoma, Texas, mm-hmm. you know, that, that part of the United States. So they're going to have some real attractive candidates, and it, it will be fascinating to see what direction they go. But yeah, you're right. It wasn't, you know, the Jimmy Lake, the incident with the player, that was, that was just, that was one small ember in a huge fire that that was going on there when Seattle Times reported about an incident that happened a couple of years ago when, when he was an assistant, allegedly putting his hands on a player, hitting a player, whatever. I was told from sources up there that basically the recruiting class under Lake was the worst it's ever been. And there was a huge, huge fear that the Huskies were going to fall back to the Ty Willingham days. And if you want to scare Washington supporter just mentioned Ty Willingham because I believe they were winless one year. It wasn't a good fit. And I think that became apparent for a coach that was only there 13 games. Yeah. The Chad Morris path who never, I still, to this day, Chad Morris has never won a power five game on (laughs) all this time at SMU in Arkansas. Kalani Satake is an extremely uh, interesting hire. That's a, a coach that consistently covers the spread, gets most out of his players uh, I thought there would be a drop-off with BYU's offense with Jeff Grimes going to Baylor, and there hasn't been. So that's it, a testament to Sataki and the program that he runs. Uh, but you have to think that they're going to go into Peterson's uh, coaching tree and, and pull someone from there. Uh, Justin Wilcox, knowing the conference and the and the recruiting footprint, uh, a really big candidate. You know, someone that's not fired yet, Brett, that uh, let's, let's zip back to the state of Florida. Has Dan Mullen just decided that we're not playing defense? Like, are they just setting up 11 lawn chairs out there? Samford's throwing up a 50-burger on the Gators? Has Dan Mullen checked out? I, the, the score was just – I know you fired your defensive coordinator, but the, the ease of which Samford scored points was amazing. Yeah, I guess Todd Grantham was enjoying that game. 
He's probably sitting back with the cigar, you know, like Seinfeld, the one clip of him laughing. I mean, I, I was texting people during that game and I'm like, I, you know, couldn't believe what was going on. You know, somebody was jokingly suggesting, you know, Mullen's going to get fired at halftime. Look, Scott Strickland, their AD, he, he would prefer to keep Dan Mullen. But if Florida loses to Missouri or Florida State, I don't see how they can keep him. They've lost some of the fan base. If they lose to Missouri or Florida State, they will have lost the entire fan base. And once that happens, you can't get them back. Their former AD, Jeremy Foley, had a great philosophy was, if you're going to do something eventually, go ahead and do it now. The South Carolina loss really changed his job security. And I think that's pretty well known. And now it's kind of to see how does this play out? And then if you're Florida, if you're going to make this move, where where are you going to go to you know replace Mullen? Uh, the good news is you don't have to wait. You only have two more weeks. You're not going to a conference championship game. We talked about the job openings and the, the carousel. You said it went from a, a four-seater to a school bus. Well, we're going to need a bigger bus. Florida, Missouri opened up 73 and a half. That number, that total has come down to 69 and a half. I don't know who's playing defense in that game. And I, I would only have to assume, as you and I record here on a Monday, that some of my fellow friends that are shapers early in the week are shaping that total up before they come back and hit the over because I don't know who's playing a lick at defense in that one. So Dan Mullen, to be determined, uh, early signing period coming up. Uh, generally, coaches, uh, ADs probably want to have coaches in place so they could, that their, their recruiting classes don't suffer. Let's set a line on the total number of head coaching changes by the end of January. Not from here to January. I'm saying total of what's already happened. There's 130 teams in FBS. How many head coaching positions do you think change between now and the end of January? Well, we're at 11 right now because there are dominoes once you guys, you know, leave to go another job, then you got to replace those guys. I'm going to say over under 25 and a half. So Brett's coming in hot at 20%, which makes college football now the NBA, where no coach lasts longer than two years. All right. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the AP top 25 versus the action network top 25. Our rankings are really coming in line. I think that that's, you know, we've known this for some time that we have some disagreements about from a power rating perspective, how odds makers set teams versus the AP top 25. And we've talked about it for weeks, but I think the one team that we need to hit a note on, because I think you were a little shocked yourself when you you text me and said, what's the Bedlam line going to be? I was like smiling when I sent the text because I was hoping you were going to (laughs) be shocked by the number. But Michael Lev out of Arizona ranked Oklahoma State number two in his AP poll. Brett, you didn't rank them that high at number two. You're a former alumni here. Were you a little bit shocked uh, when I said that Oklahoma State is projected as a small favorite against Oklahoma in Bedlam and Stillwater? Yeah, I was shocked. Look, I'm an Oklahoma State alum. I know how this movie plays out, and I don't like it. Look out! This is Bedlam! There will be all this optimism about Oklahoma State, but bottom line Oklahoma will win the game. This year, though, it will have a sick twist. This year, Oklahoma State will win Bedlam and Stillwater. Then they'll have a rematch in the Big 12 title game in Arlington, and OU will beat Oklahoma State and knock us out of the college football playoff. I am mentally, I am prepared for that. I hope I'm wrong. I give tremendous amount of credit to Jim Knowles and what he has done with Oklahoma State's defense. Because I know, talking with you and Stucky over the years, Oklahoma State's defense Gave up a ton of yards, but they created a lot of turnovers, and that kind of made up for some deficiencies. 
that certainly is not the case this year. Their defense has been off the charts. And the offense, which is usually the, the high point for the Cowboys, is slowly but surely coming along. God, if, if Oklahoma State had some of their, their offenses, you know, high-powered offenses the past few years under Gundy with this defense, I, I would be very confident they would win the Big 12 and get to the college football playoff. But um, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. But um, as I said, I've seen this movie a million times. I know how the ending credits will go. Mike Yersich, if you're out there listening, what Brett is saying is he will happily donate to the booster money to get you back for a couple of games uh, to get <laughs> old Oklahoma State glory going. Uh, yeah, the offensive coordinator position, you know, Sean Gleason comes in from Princeton after scoring more points, I think, ever in the FCS level. He takes back off for New Jersey. Gundy has an offensive coordinator that he's kind of had to groom along now. Definitely not the offenses that we're used to in the past, but this defense is putting up some really tremendous numbers here. And the Oklahoma offense all of a sudden, can't score any points. Uh, Caleb Williams, I know he got his hand stepped on, but there were problems before uh, against that bay, that multiple front, that scheme that Aranda calls. We, we said it last week that Aranda has somehow figured out a way every time, whether he's at LSU or at Baylor, he has found out a way to figure out Lincoln Riley's offenses. And that came to fruition the other day. Oklahoma's minus 120 to win the Big 12. Oklahoma State is plus 240 to win the Big 12. So if you believe in Brett, I would probably scoop that at Oklahoma State plus 240. And then after Bedlam, you may be able to get Oklahoma at plus money right now. But, you know, Oklahoma State is going to be a small favorite. Assuming things play out uh, the way they do this weekend, Oklahoma State is going to be a small favorite in Bedlam. And that's just going to be uh, a really big thing for the program. And uh, you should be proud of it. I-, I love how contrarian you are with your alumni, like I am with Arkansas. Like you just kind of hopped over Arkansas when we started off the podcast and said that Alabama is absolutely going to win. Listen, Arkansas could win this weekend, and Alabama could lose the Iron Bowl. Okay, there's I'm not dreaming of that at all. So apparently, the Action Network does not conduct drug tests for its employees. <laughs> but whatever you say. Woo, pig suey. There's nothing legal in the state of Arkansas except illiteracy and teen pregnancy. Okay. Okay. So we're going to move on from the AP top 25 and the action Network top 25. I just think it's interesting that I, Oklahoma state does have a real chance to get into the playoff here. And I think their defense is going to present some problems for Oklahoma. So we'll check out that bedlam right up next week when you have your Turkey. Uh, let's move on to the Heisman handicap. This is your Heisman handicap. The Heisman trophy is awarded to So, Brett, we used to have a monster list, and you and I targeted C.J. Stroud uh, after Ohio State lost their first game. I believe he was hanging out somewhere around 14 to 18 to 1. He is now down to plus 220. Bryce Young is at plus 180. Now, you're a Heisman voter, Brett. You're three weeks away from having to submit your Heisman vote, and you have stuck to your guns like a poke, (laughs) and you have uh, kept with Bryce Young this entire time. I have been a big C.J. Stroud fan. I think they are the most vertical offense uh, of everybody on this list. I'm still amazed that Kenneth Walker III is at plus 280, uh, Matt Corral all the way down to 7-1, to one, which ties into what Brett says. This is, this is so ingrained. The Heisman is now ingrained into how your team performs. The Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman was just an anomaly because of the stats he's putting up. If you can put up 50-plus touchdowns, uh, you can win the Heisman no matter who you're playing for. But Caleb Williams takes a dip down to 50-1. to one. Sam Hartman, uh, even though his team won, they he dipped from 40 down to 50 to one. It's truly a two-man race, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Brett, where are you voting for New York? The award's not given out right now, but I would give it to Bryce Young. He's got, you know, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, third most TD passes 
in the country behind our favorite quarterback, Bailey Zappi. <laughs> Bailey Zappi. I love to say Bailey Zappi. Look, again, don't shoot the messenger. The Heisman, like you said, it's a, it's become a team award. It's become a quarterback award. I think it's very, very simple. And we talked about, you know, Bryce Young was three to one a month or so ago. And we, we recommended people to take Bryce Young at three to one because it, you had better odds on Bryce Young to win the Heisman than you did on Alabama to win the national title. And I think those will come to fruition for Bryce Young if the following happens. Alabama is competitive against Georgia, and Bryce Young does not have a horrible, horrible game. If he puts up big numbers and you talked about, you know, Alabama's going to have to go vertical against Georgia. If Bryce Young can have decent number, I mean, he doesn't need a monster game. If he can just put up good numbers against a Georgia defense that has not allowed more than 17 points now, thanks to Tennessee, then I think it's Bryce Young's to win. I'm st- I never bought the, the Kenneth Walker hype. Again, don't shoot the messenger. It's not a running back award. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm just saying that's how it is. Voters are enamored with quarterbacks, unless you have somebody have an incredible year like uh, Devontae Smith or something like that. So it's Bryce Young's award to lose. And if Ohio State doesn't win out, C.J. Stroud has no chance to win the Heisman. Zero. Bryce Young can lose to Georgia and still win it. Anybody after that, you're just, just instead of playing your future plays on the Heisman, just send it directly to me. <laughs> because they have 0.0% chance. If you're not a fan of Animal House, you won't get that reference. If you are a fan of Animal House, you're older than Colin. So I appreciate you listening. <laughs> I love Animal House, but uh, okay. I, I, you bringing up the poison references the other day on the, on the, on the live show was great because that was my favorite band when I was 12 years old. But, uh, but I, I think if we're going to listen for betting advice here, Brett, it is truly just a two man race. And you're, you're saying that Bryce young, if he looks good in a loss still will get more votes in your opinion over CJ Stroud, if Ohio state wins out. It, no, if Ohio state wins out, then I think Stroud's got a shot, but he's got to put up monster games against Michigan. He's got to put up monster games in the Big Ten title game, and then he has a shot. If Ohio State does not win out, then it's Bryce Young wins the Heisman. Both C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are taking on top-notch defenses in their projected conference games. C.J. Stroud would have to go through a Wisconsin defense that isn't giving up anything in the air to anybody. And Bryce Young does not have the offensive line to deal with Jordan Davis and this Georgia defensive front. So I'm really interested to see where we go. I don't think there's value on either of these quarterbacks at these current numbers, but at the same time, I agree with Brett. It's a two-man race. Uh, You're better off looking at team futures uh, to make the playoff, which we're going to talk about here. So let's pivot over to the playoff payoff. The college football playoff payoff. Uh, Playoff? Don't talk about playoff. You kidding me? Playoff? So, Brett, last week, Oregon uh, slipped up to number three. Ohio State's in the in the top four. We had uh, an interesting, you know, Michigan swapping with Michigan State, even though there was a head-to-head. I know that a lot of the talking heads on the TV like to make it a big point of emphasis, but, you know, this is all going to work itself out in the Big Ten East. Where we need to focus is the piece that I wrote for the Action Network. It'll be out on Tuesday morning, and it talks about the four commandments of the college football playoff. And there is a certain set of rules that the committee has always followed. An undefeated Power 5 team always gets in. A one-loss Power 5 conference champion always gets in. 
And then after that, there was in 2017, Alabama with one loss as an at-large hopped to loss Ohio State as a conference champion. And that was also the same season that Central Florida wasn't acknowledged at all and didn't get into the playoff, wasn't even considered, didn't get close, uh, not as close as Cincinnati is at number five right now. And then I go to back to last year's ratings where three loss teams and two loss teams in Florida and Texas A&M hopped undefeated Cincinnati as the rankings went by week after week. So in my article that's going to come out on Action Network, Cincinnati, in my opinion, is maybe sixth or seventh on the list of who can fill that fourth seed. Because I think Wake Forest as a one-loss ACC champ might actually get in over Cincinnati. Would If that's the scenario, there's one spot left. Let's forget about all the other Power Five conferences. Let's assume Oregon loses out, and there's one spot left. Would you think the pecking order would be a one-loss Wake Forest or an undefeated Cincinnati? Man, that Wake Forest would have no wins against ranked opponents unless they get at somebody in the ACC title game that's ranked. Cincinnati will have one win against a ranked opponent, maybe two if Houston can get ranked. I, I think because of the public pressure, they would put Cincinnati in. 13-0 Cincinnati over 12-1 Wake Forest. If we're comparing them head-to-head and the other three teams have been decided, however they were decided, and any other teams that could get in the mix lost out. So that's your that's your last two. It would set a precedent, like you said. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. I think they'll pick Cincinnati. Pretty positive that Oklahoma State one loss gets in over Cincinnati. Does Oklahoma with one loss get in? Because they're, they're going to take a major dip here this weekend. I, I mean, I know that they're going to have to face Oklahoma State twice and they can make up a lot of ground. But is the Big 12 out of this or they're going to hop Cincinnati if, they, if there's a one-loss champion that comes out of the Big 12, correct? I think if Oklahoma State runs a table, they get in over Cincinnati, no doubt, if that's the fourth spot we're talking about. If it's Oklahoma, it's basically a coin flip. I really think that. Uh, you look at Oklahoma would, in that scenario, have – only two wins against ranked opponents, and that would be beating Oklahoma State twice. So do you really count that as two wins against a ranked opponent or you just beat the same team twice? Right. That'll be fascinating because there's a there's a reason right now that Oklahoma is ranked behind Cincinnati. I would say like Wake Forest, it's going to be tough for Oklahoma to get up there and get in over a 13-0 Cincinnati. You can tell that the committee is paying attention to strength of record so closely because an undefeated Oklahoma team, you would expect them to be in the top four, but they slotted them at eighth. So I would be a little fearful as a Sooners fan about how far they're going to take a dip. Obviously, they can make that up, but they they are going to have to be uber impressive in their final games uh, uh, to get back up into this playoff scenario. And Oklahoma State, it's all there in front of them. Uh, they should finish uh, ahead of Cincinnati if they went out as Big 12 champs. I think the interesting thing for tomorrow, does Michigan with a win over Penn State, do they move up from six uh, to five over Cincinnati? Wow. Uh, I was very surprised. I think think they should. I I don't necessarily know if they'll do it. Look, you're not supposed to do this. I did the mock process twice. When I did the mock process, we did it for an individual season, and I forgot what season it was. But we basically took the final rankings and said, okay, here are your rankings. Here are your teams. How would you pick your field. And we went through that process based only on the final results. If I was part of the process now, it would be impossible for me not to know that, you know what, Michigan plays Ohio State in a couple of weeks. So I can leave them behind Cincinnati now because if they beat Ohio State, they're going to jump Cincinnati. 
And that's what I would, I would stress this. I can't stress this enough to, to the people out there listening. If you get all fired up about Tuesday's rankings, don't. I mean, don't even watch it. You know, follow, follow me on Twitter. I'll tell you what goes on. But don't even watch it. And here's why. It's absolutely meaningless. Whatever they do with the rankings, it's, it's worthless. It's worthless on the, on the piece of paper they print it out on. None of the rankings matter at all until we get to the final one. And that's when, you know, as a voter for the, for the playoff, okay, now this is legit. This is going to matter. If I put Cincinnati this week at five or 500, it doesn't matter because it doesn't impact what bowl they go in, who goes to the playoff. That changes in the final one. And that's why you see, and we got the, we got the, the message loud and clear in year one, TCU ranked number three, they seal club Iowa state 55 to three, and they dropped to number six in the final poll. So I think Colin, to answer your question five minutes later, that I think they keep them behind Cincinnati because human nature, they'll know, look, if they beat Ohio State, we'll jump them at that point. Everybody should check out uh, Brett's bowl pre- preview. Uh, as of right now, he's got my Arkansas Razorbacks going to the Duke's Mayo Bowl, something I would love, although a trip to the state of Florida was warming up for me. Uh, Georgia and Cincinnati in the Orange Bowl, Ohio State, Alabama uh, in the Cotton Bowl. Make sure and give uh, Brett's bowl projections a read. So I got a real quick funny story about the college football playoff rankings. When I was at ESPN, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember what year this was. <laughs> you know, the show comes on at 7 p.m. every week. And I'm sitting here at home watching ESPN around 6 p.m., an hour before the show. And I notice on the bottom line, the ticker on ESPN, they're listing games that are being played this week. The problem is they were listing the rankings of the college football playoff that had not been announced yet. They were going to be announced at seven o'clock. Back then, the college football playoff would send ESPN the rankings an hour or so before the show ran so they could get graphics ready, so they could do all this stuff. Unfortunately, somebody at ESPN mistakenly put the new rankings in with all of the team listings. So on the bottom line, well, I guess it was, this may have been the first year, 2014. Was that Florida State? 24, yeah. Yep. So, because they had Florida State that had dropped from two to three one week. And um, actually, my boss at ESPN called me. And he saw me because t- I was tweeting it and said, Here are the new college football playoff rankings an hour before the show ran. And he goes, Where in the hell did you get the rankings? Who, got, who gave that to you? And I said, uh, It's running on ESPN right now on the bottom line. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, needless to say, the COD, that was the last time. I think they changed it after that, where ESPN got advance notice of the rankings. So when Reese says actually that only Steve, the graphics guy, is the only one with the information, that is legit because of what happened. Uh, what happened that first year? That is uh, amazing. We'll see if Steve is a gambler. I'd like to know Steve. See if he's a gambler. Uh, is yeah, as Reese has said, has correctly said, the most powerful man in college football when that stuff comes out, ex- especially when the final rankings come out that first Sunday in December. Books are pretty smart to see some suspicious money come in and take lines down. If you need a gambling deliverable, Brett, we talked about Michigan being 60 to one last week and how that was a really um, attractive number that people should have gotten into. They did beat Penn State. 
That number did drop. It's now 35 to one on Michigan. There's no value there. They should be about 42 to one. That'll be in my article uh, on Tuesday about the college football playoff. All the value in the world right now is with Georgia at minus 120. That goes up to minus 150 before it starts losing value for the national championship. And then believe it or not, Mr. Brett McMurphy's pokes. They're 80 to one at DraftKings, and I can't figure it out for the life of me. They're going to be favored over Oklahoma at home. It's going to be a pick'em game in Arlington. And right now, Oklahoma at 35 to one and Oklahoma State's at 80 to one makes absolutely zero sense. Now, I know Brett feels like there's no way we can get through these two games. We'll win Bedlam and lose the championship. Listen, this is about money and investments and everything. And 80 to one is a huge number for the pokes. Uh, that is your gambling deliverable of the week. Brett, you want to want to peel back the rubber band and, and throw a <laughs> throw Benjamin Franklin down on some pokes with me? Go pokes. I mean, that would be that actually be a good and you could hedge out of the, uh, the Big 12 title game with Oklahoma. Yeah, on that. absolutely. Yeah, you would have a lot of opportunities. Uh, you would be able to buy a lot of Brahms hamburgers, which Barry Sanders is a big fan of. Uh, inside joke. I'm sure, Colin, after the rankings come out Tuesday night, I'm sure that 81 is going to go away. So if you guys have confidence in in my pokes, uh, take Colin's advice. Yeah, absolutely agree. They're going to move up. Oklahoma's going to move down, and these numbers are probably going to flip flop. So as you're listening, uh, snag that pokes uh, 80 to one. And if you happen to be traveling through the Midwest, stop by for a bag of burgers at Brahms and get yourself a a yogurt twist. It's uh, some good stuff with crinkle fries. All right, Brad, before I let you go, there are props up right now to make the college football playoff. There's, you know, there's not a whole ton of value on a lot of these. Ohio State, yes, minus 170. You're going to get probably a better money line in the championship game or a a running parlay card. Uh, Oklahoma, yes, plus 240. I think that's properly priced. Oregon, yes, plus 260. That does not match what they're about to do with Utah, having to face them potentially twice in the next three weeks. Uh, And interestingly enough, Cincinnati to make the playoff, plus 250. I think all these are lined correctly, except for Georgia. (laughs) Georgia is minus 2,000, Brett. So are we looking to lay $2,000 to win 100 or $10,000 to win 500? I don't think there's any chance at all with this remaining schedule of Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech, and no matter what happens, this SEC championship game minus two thousand, probably the easiest money you'll ever make. Yeah, can I have a loan for that <laughs> next week? I'll get I'll get it back to you in a in a month. I promise. Yeah, I mean you're basically minus two thousand on is Georgia going to lose to Georgia Tech? So, uh, well, that would be. I guess it would be so. But actually, to be you know, if you're going to put you know, I know that's a ridiculous amount, but if you were going to play that. I would just, you would have a, I'm, I'm guessing you would have a lower, maybe not. You would have a lower money line when you play Georgia tech. Right. Yeah. So I would just put, I would put double the money on Georgia play, Georgia versus Georgia tech, as opposed to the playoff. I think it's still lose to Georgia tech and beat Alabama in the end. I mean, it's just this. Yeah, minus, that's true. Yeah. It's minus 2000 is like, I, it's bulletproof. I, I don't know why people are out there betting tennis lines and Federer at minus 3,500 when you could just grab this Georgia to make the playoff at minus 2,000. That's actually some pretty good value. Uh, so, you know, as far as to make the props, we're going to stick with our Georgia. We're going to lay 10 grand to, uh, to win 500, and, and we will uh, happily spend it on all the tolls you have to pay on the roads here in Oklahoma. All right, Brett, we are going to wrap it up for sources. We will not be on the air next week. Shortened week with Thanksgiving coming in. Stucky and I, of course, will be – podcasting uh, for week 13, but sources will take a two-week break. We will be back uh, before conference championship week. 
this has been Big Bets on Campus Sources Edition. Tomorrow afternoon, you can hear our group of five experts, Mike Ionello and Mike Calabrese on our G5 Deep Dive episode. And late, late Thursday night, Stucky and I will return for our Week 12 betting preview all right here on the BBOC. Brett has to get back to <laughs> finding out if he can get over 25 and a half coaches fired. Uh, and I've got to get back to laying some overs on San Diego State football. Thanks for joining me, Brett. See everybody at the window. <laughs>